0: Good morning, good morning Let's do a show Let me get just one more thing set up Okay. Sweet. I think we're ready to go. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Just Human number
1: 175. It is Friday. Happy Flannel Friday to you. Hope you're having a good one and that you will have a good one. I am very much looking forward to this weekend because it's the 24 hours of Daytona and I have big plans with my boys to set up and watch all 24 hours of the race and build Legos and make a big breakfast and eat snacks and just have a weekend focused on racing um, really looking forward to it, but before I get to that, today I have some stuff about Durham. We had a major hit piece in the New York Times come out yesterday um, targeting the Durham SEO, and we're going to read it today. It is very heavy on spin. You might get dizzy while we go through it, but it is worth it, I think, not for the truth of the matter, not for the, the truth of the article, but for what tiny indicators are in it. And w- thinking about what it is the Times wants us to believe about Durham and knowing that there's a reason they want us to believe that and asking why is it they're trying to get us to believe those certain things right now. Um, it's actually a really good topic for Defected, which I will be live with Burning Bright this Sunday at uh, 9 p.m. for Defected on Badlands Media. Make sure you check us out. Also, make sure if you missed the Power Hour The Devolution Power Hour from last Wednesday night, it was awesome. It was hilarious. Um, There was some brilliant uh, analysis in it, for sure. uh, But it was also just freaking hilarious. So if you want some good entertainment, then um, Devolution Power Hour last Wednesday was awesome. I highly recommend it. Um, And then I need to tell you about... OK, yeah, um, let me get. The, yeah, this is set up. Um, I need to tell y'all that I'm going to do one other show. So before I go off to watch 24 Hours of Daytona and disconnect from things. I'm going to be tonight tonight. I'm going to be joining Zilosophy, uh for an interview. Uh, he has a series called Patriots Behind the Mic where he interviews people who do shows and stuff like that um, and do re- citizen journalism, things like that. And I'm really looking forward to it. Y'all probably, if you're on Rumble or on True Social, then you probably recognize Zelosophy. He's usually in the chat and is hilarious and makes tons of, uh, uh, witty and pithy, um, comments that I like. And, um, he's a good follow over on True Social. So this evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to join Zelosophy for episode six of Patriots Behind the Mic. Uh, the links are on my socials if you're interested in um, going and listening to this interview. I think it's going to be pretty relaxed, pretty chill. He told me that um, scotch is not only permitted, but it is recommended and encouraged. So I plan on having a wee dram of scotch right here and just sitting this chilling and having a great conversation with Zilosophy. Um should be good. Should be good. Looking forward to it. And then once that's over, I'm disconnecting and I'm watching racing. Uh, It's going to be such a good race this weekend. Oh, it's going to be awesome. All right. Can't think about it too much. Need to focus on this stuff. Um, (laughs) I'm really holding back some racing stuff. (laughs) Like there's like this, this gear turning in my head that is so focused on racing. And I have so many things I want to say about it, but. I need to clutch that thing and just have it clutched and spinning over on this side for now. (laughs) Um, I'll put it into gear later tonight. Um, Okay, so today we're going to talk a bit about National Archives. Our big focus today is going to be that New York Times article, and uh, we got some Pompeo stuff. I have Pompeo's book, and I'm going to read a short part of it to you um, here later. And then we'll see what we have time for after that. If you enjoy the show, if you think that uh, I do a, a fine job and you enjoy listening to my content, please, uh, and you're on Rumble, please give me a thumbs up over there. That helps me out a lot. Um, really appreciate it. And if you want to do more than that, there are other ways to support the show. Um, you can go to justhuman.substack.com and subscribe to my substack. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash just human, keep my coffee cup full or my scotch glass full, however you want to think of it. Um really appreciate all your support. That is how I do what I do. Um it's through your support. And then if you want to get a product, you can go to my merch store at red, white and bourbon45.com or BensonhoneyFarms.com and use rep code just human and buy yourself some honey directly from the bee farmers. All right, enough of that stuff. Let's get to some interesting news. I think it was Monday or Wednesday. I made some comment on my socials. Like who's next in this document scandal? Is it going to be Obama or Bush or Clinton? Or who who is it next that is going to find, um, is going to find some documents in their closet and Oh, I, oh, where is it? Where is it? I thought I put this in my, uh, my stack over here. Where is it? Um, you may remember, I think it was on devolution power hour. I said something about Senator Mark Warner and Oh, I didn't save it. Did I, I didn't. Okay. So Senator Mark Warner came out and I said something about Senator Warner and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I said something about him and The next day, yeah, it was on Devolution Power Hour, I think. The next day, Senator Warner um, was quoted in an article in The Hill telling people to check their closets. I said something about him. Where is it? There it is. There it is. I thought it was hilarious. Mark Warner warns previous presidents and vice presidents to, quote, check your closets for documents. He says, I would have thought that by now that anyone who served in any of these roles as president and vice president that are still living would say, go check your closets. And I think it's hilarious. (laughs) Um, One that I mentioned him and then the next day he's in the news for exactly the reason that I mentioned him. Uh, So funny. Yeah. So anyway, so that he put out that he was quoted as saying that to some press. And then the next day we get first on CNN national archives, ask former presidents and vice presidents to check for classified and presidential documents. One more sip. The national archives is formally asking former presidents and vice presidents to recheck their personal records for any classified documents or other presidential records in the wake of classified documents discovered in the homes of Trump, Pence and Biden. The archive sent a letter Thursday to representatives of former presidents and vice presidents from the last six presidential administrations covered by the presidential records act, including Reagan who, of course is no longer with us, but it's still sent to his library or the his representatives or his archives. Um, Quote, the responsibility to comply with the PRA does not diminish after the end of an administration, the letter states. Therefore, we request that you conduct an assessment of any materials held outside of NARA that relate to the administration for which you serve as a designated representative under the PRA to determine whether bodies of materials previously assumed to be personal in nature might inadvertently contain presidential or vice presidential records subject to the PRA, whether classified or unclassified. The letter notes that, quote, while much of the attention of these instances has focused on the classified information, the PRA requires that all presidential records of every administration from Reagan onward must be transferred to NARA, regardless of classification status. Interesting. The archive sent the letter to representatives for former presidents Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, H.W. Bush, and Ronald Reagan, and former vice presidents Pence, Biden, Cheney, Gore, and Quayle. Freddie Ford, chief of staff to former president George W. Bush, quickly responded to the letter Thursday, Thank you for your note. We understand its purpose and remain confident that no such materials are in our possession. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Representatives for four former presidents have previously told CNN that they do not have any classified records in their possession. The representatives for former presidents Clinton, Bush, Obama, and the late Bush all told CNN that all classified records had been turned over to the National Archives upon leaving office. I doubt it. I doubt it. Now there was no letter to Carter because the presidential records act doesn't cover all the way back to him. Um, It didn't exist. So he's not subject to it. And honestly, I'm not that worried about Carter. Um, Dan Quayle confirmed to CNN that everything was turned over to the archives and sources familiar with the records of Cheney said he also turned everything over when he left the white house. A spokesperson for Gore said he and his staff turned everything over when leaving the White House and no classified material has been discovered since. Mm-hmm. Good morning, everyone. JC bird, Joe Lang, Les Garcia. Thank you very much. Appreciate the rumble rant. And I like this comment from, uh, from Brian Murphy, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of that kind of, that kind of letter. Um, now, NARA has put out statements before saying that they have that they've taken control of all of Obama's records. They said this on um, Here, let me just find it. If I can spell. They said this back when um, President Trump's during President Trump's Mar-a-Lago raid. uh, They put out a statement that because of all the talking because of Trump saying that Obama has all these millions of records and you know he brought up all of those records that he took uh the national archives put out a statement saying no 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 we have we have collected all of those we have them um try to remember where it is that they have this statement
0: I think it's right here in the press releases from 22 from August. No, that has to do with programs.
1: Anyway, they put out a statement saying that they have control of all of the records. And that's completely contrary to what President Trump was saying. Um, but I think they had just taken control of them. I don't think it was. Uh, it was like they have it wasn't. It definitely was not that they've always had his records. It's that they've taken control of his records since then. Um, But it's interesting to me that they're then sending a letter to Obama and saying, make sure you don't have any classified or unclassified records of any kind. It's just interesting. I'm trying to remember where on this website it is.
0: That gummit. I should have grabbed it before it's there's records here. Let me see. Let me see. No, those are his his statements. There, archives.gov. Yes,
1: right here. There we go. There we go. I've got. I found it now. Yeah, it was August twelfth. I remembered. The National Archives and Records Administration assumed exclusive legal and physical custody of Obama's presidential records when President Barack Obama left office in 2017 in accordance with the PRA. NARA moved approximately 30 million pages of unclassified records to a NARA facility in Chicago area where they are maintained exclusively by NARA. Additionally, NARA maintains the classified Obama presidential records in a NARA facility in Washington, D.C. As required by the PRA, former President Obama has no control over where and how NARA stores the presidential records of his administration. Now, of course, that's contrary to what's in the drops, and it's contrary to what President Trump has said, and it's contrary to what others have said. So it makes me wonder... And it's also contrary to this right here, this letter to him. Why are you including Obama in this, given your statement here from just August, from just six months ago?
0: Not even six months ago. Hmm. Seems to me that there's some, there's
1: some possibility here. That NARA doesn't have all of Obama's records. And so they're they're throwing up a, a sign saying, make sure you check, make sure you've turned them all over to us. I think because the next thing they're gonna get is gonna be a subpoena of some sort or a visit by the FBI. And I know a lot of people think, no, that's not gonna happen. That's not going to happen. The FBI is crooked and doesn't do anything right. And they're bad. And the DOJ is corrupt and it's all swamp. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever happens. Why would you ever think that? Well, the FBI
0: and the DOJ were at Joe Biden's house the other day. I mean, the FBI and DOJ just indicted a swamp creature that's a 22 year
1: veteran of FBI for his corruption. We'll see. Um, Thank you for the rumble rant, Diana. I love it. When I catch you live, your work has banished the encroaching black pill that was creeping around, around me in the shadows. Y'all remember to hit the thumbs up. Ah, yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Reject the black pills. Any Patriot says they may not be lying about having turned over their records. They just failed to disclose. They turned them over to the foreign entities. <laughs> well, that point there. Yeah, possibly uh, this presidents and others of high office have long used their classification authority to hide evidence of their crimes and prevent others from getting access to them. Um, it's a great way to hide evidence of your crimes and uh or at least bad judgment, poor ethics corruption things like that um, and seal it away for twenty five to fifty years so that by the time anybody discovers it you're long gone and you're not going to be held responsible uh, Times have changed though, and they're after run. I'm really interested i apparently instead of a person being next, everyone is next. All right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Should I, I need to make an archive link? Okay. So this is an opportunity to teach y'all something. I mean, if you've been watching me for a long time, you know this trick. So if you have an article you want to read, but it's blocked like this, or you don't want to give, you don't want to give your email address, you don't want to sign in with something. Um, and it's from an outlet that you don't respect and don't want to give money to, such as the New York Slimes, what you can do is go to archive, different archive, not national archives, but um, the archive site. So you can type in archive.today or archive.md. Archive.today resolves to several different addresses. It's archive.md, archive.is, archive.all sorts of things. It doesn't matter. It's all the same website. You want archive.today, and it'll resolve to some URL. Okay. So what you do is you go there and you have uh, you have the article you want. You uh, you grab it, you copy the URL, and then first paste it down here into this little blue bar. Because when you do that, you can search to see if anybody else has already archived it, and they have. So we're in luck. Now, if nobody had archived it, then what would happen is it would automatically move this right here into this red box. And it would ask you, do you want to archive it? And you can say, yes, hit save, And by doing that, you're helping everybody out because you're creating an archive of that article, which is going to be saved. And anybody else can can uh, can access it. This is a great way to get around the. The. the spam that they throw up, the ads, the login request, and all of that kind of stuff that these outlets put out um, because they have failed business models. <laughs> so anyway, this is a great way to help everybody by archiving an article, but also get around um, some of their paywall stuff and whatnot. Um, remember that archive.today. It'll let you it'll help you get around. That. Now, I do recommend that if it is a site that you do respect and they do good journalism, it's still good to archive it like this. But at least click on an ad or two for them, you know, because if you like the outlet, then go ahead and give them a couple clips, clicks and views so that they can get paid by their advertisers. Um, but it's, all, it's still good to archive it. All right. I love archive.today. Great site. Alright, so we're gonna get into this article, and it is a hit and spin piece against the Durham Special Counsel. So you're gonna to have to have your filters on. You're gonna to have to uh, you know, prepare yourself, grab a hold of the desk or whatever so you don't get spun out by this by this piece. Because it's trying to convince you something. And you need to have, if you watch me and Burning Bright show on Sundays, it's good to have a defected mindset. Don't get too down into it to where you're reacting to what is is being put forth here, but instead analyze what is being put forth and ask why they're putting it forth. Because there's definitely a, a reason that this article is coming out right now. They are trying to get ahead of something. They are trying to damage Durham and smear him as something because... I think he's about to drop an indictment that they want they're trying to frame who Durham is and what his what his SCO is ahead of what he is about to do. So it says Barr pressed Durham to find flaws in Russia investigation. It didn't go well. So right out the gate, they're gonna do they're trying to characterize Barr as being a political animal who tried to push Durham into doing something. There's a reason they're doing this. The review by John Durham at one point veered into a criminal investigation related to Donald Trump himself, even as it failed to find wrongdoing in the origins of the Russia inquiry. This is by Charlie Savage, Adam Goldman, and Katie Benner, The Usual Suspects. The usual suspects, right? All right. It became a regular litany of grievances from President Donald J. Trump and his supporters. The investigation into his 2016 campaign ties to Russia was a witch hunt. They maintained that had been opened without any solid basis, went on too long and found no proof of collusion. Egged on by Mr. Trump, Attorney General William P. Barr set out in 2019 to dig into their shared theory that the Russia investigation likely stemmed from a conspiracy by intelligence or law enforcement agencies. To lead the inquiry, Mr. Barr turned to a hard-nosed prosecutor named John H. Durham and later granted him special counsel status to carry on after Trump left office. So, I have warned for a very long time. That one of the reasons for the Barr and Trump kayfabe, where they appear to not be on the same team and throw, you know, they're throwing throwing some mud at each other, is to try and create separation because eventually their enemies are going to try and conflate Durham, Barr, and Trump all together as one political animal and that Barr and Durham are Trump's attack dog who are doing Trump's bidding and it's all crooked and political and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't regard them. As being after anything ethical or hold them in high regard because it's just politics as usual, and it's a particularly nasty type of politics because it comes from the bad orange man, right? We're there. We're there. The New York Times, who they're them, they they're very mad at Barr because they view Mr. Barr as being a uh, someone who protected Trump. That's their view. That's the leftist view is that Barr protected Trump and now Durham is out to try and get revenge on people who put forth the Russia collusion story. And yes, 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 it, they are actually still, still pushing Russia gate, spy gate, Russia, Russia, Russia collusion. Still, it's the year 2023 and the New York Times and these authors are still pushing that Russia collusion has a basis and that the Durham special counsel does not. Back to the article. But after four years, far longer than the Russia investigation itself, they're upset about that because they, they wanted the Russia investigation to thoroughly route all MAGA patriots out of the GOP so it could go back to being part of the Uniparty completely. Mr. Durham's work is coming to an end without uncovering anything like the deep state plot alleged by Mr. Trump and suspected by Mr. Barr. That's not true. And if you've been paying attention to the Durham Special Counsel, you know it's not true. There is much evidence, much evidence of the exact deep state plot that has been spelled out by Barr and Trump. Moreover, a months-long review by the New York Times found that the main thrust of the Durham inquiry was marked by some of the very same flaws, including a strained justification for opening it and its role in fueling partisan conspiracy theories that would never be charged in court. That Trump allies claim characterized the Russia investigation. See what they're trying to get see how they're spinning it. Here's the spin. It's a strain justification. It's conspiracy theories. Interviews by the times with more than a dozen current and former officials have revealed an array of previously unreported episodes that show how the Durham inquiry became roiled by internal dissent and ethical disputes as it went unsuccessfully down one path after another, even as Mr. Trump and Mr. Barr promoted a misleading narrative of its progress.
0: Now, we know there are no leaks. There are no leaks from the Durham
1: SEO. So these people who are commenting on this, the sources for this months long review and investigation by the New York times are I'm going to guess people who have an ax to grind people who have possibly been interviewed by the Durham special counsel or know someone who has, and have been talked, have, have, you know, gathered some, some hearsay about it or some rumors. Um, and then we also, further down, we're going to find out a defense attorney has uh, jumped in and given some comments. Bullet point one. Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham never disclosed that their, their inquiry expanded in the fall of 2019 based on a tip from Italian officials to include a criminal investigation into suspicious financial dealings related to Mr. Trump. The specifics of the tip... And how they handled the investigation remain unclear, but Mr. Durham brought no charges over it. Looking forward to finding out the details of this one because it's very, it seems very like a, it's the exact kind of claim that seem that you that it's going to get inverted, like so so often when they claim some crime or something suspicious that Trump was involved in, they characterized it 180 degrees out of phase. And then when you learn the details of it, you realize it was the opposite. It was the other way around. This one. Next bullet point. Mr. Durham used Russian intelligence memos suspected by other U.S. officials of containing disinformation, because of course everything from Russia is disinformation. Everything. To gain access to emails of an aide to George Soros. That might be the most interesting thing in this article. Mr. Durham used grand jury powers to keep pursuing the emails even after a judge twice rejected his request for them. The emails yielded no evidence that Mr. Durham has cited in any case he pursued. Yet this is fascinating to me because I want to know exactly how it is that Durham came to go down a road of evidence that led him towards Soros. He wasn't, he wasn't after these emails for no reason. There's some line of there's some line of evidence some line of investigation here that Durham felt worthwhile to use grand jury powers to go after these emails and he went to a judge and tw- it says right here the judge twice rejected his request for these emails but it doesn't what it doesn't tell you is that Durham never got them It then says the emails yielded no evidence. See that right there? Mr. Durham used grand jury powers to keep pursuing the emails even after a judge twice rejected his request to access for them. But the next sentence is the emails yielded no evidence that Mr. Durham has signed any case. Wait a minute. I thought he was, I thought he pursued them and got rejected twice. So did he end up getting them? See what I'm saying right here? It's like there's a sentence missing where it says, on the third attempt, the judge granted them. You know, like there's a, it says he's rejected twice, but then the next sentence begins with the emails yielded no evidence. Well, when did he get them? I thought you said he got rejected. Next one. There were deeper internal fractures on the Durham team than previously known. The publicly unexplained resignation in 2020 of his number two and longtime aide, Nora R. Danahy, was the culmination of a series of disputes between them over prosecutorial ethics. A year later, two more prosecutors strongly objected to plans to indict a lawyer with ties to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign based on evidence they warned was too flimsy, and one left the team in protest of Mr. Durham's decision to proceed anyway. A jury swiftly acquitted the lawyer. They're talking about Sussman. Now, Nora R. Danahy right here. I dug back into this and the popular fake news story is that she resigned in protest. And, and there's this claim that it was because Durham was political and there was political pressure coming from Barr, for them to indict someone before the 2020 election. but, when I went and read her letter last night, she didn't say anything like that. It's just the reporting of it. It's the it's the usual D.C. rumor mill has colored her resignation with it's because Barr was so political and put pressure on Durham to indict someone. But her letter doesn't say anything like that at all. Now, as Mr. Durham works on his final report, the interviews by the Times provide new details of how he and Mr. Barr sought to recast the scrutiny of the 2016 Trump campaign's myriad of murky links to Russia as unjustified and itself a crime. This article takes it for granted that durham the only thing Durham's doing now is working on his final report. Mr. Barr, Mr. Durham, and Miss Danahy declined to comment. The current and former officials who discussed the investigation all spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the legal, political, and intelligent sensitivity surrounding the topic. This line right here, intelligence sensitivity surrounding the topic. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking they talked to some swampy, possibly current and former officials. And I'm thinking they talked to the, some people that came out of the intelligence community. I wonder how many people who are a source for this article also signed that, are also one of the 50 people who signed that letter about how Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinfo.
0: I bet it's more than three-fourths.
1: A year into the Durham Inquiry, Mr. Barr declared that the attempt, quote, to get to the bottom of what happened in 2016 cannot be, and it will not be a tit for tat exercise. We are not going to lower the standards just to achieve a result. Good. I agree with that. But miss but Robert Luskin a criminal defense lawyer and former Justice Department prosecutor who represented two witnesses Mr. Durham interviewed said that he had a hard time squaring Mr. Durham's prior reputation as an independent straight shooter with his end of career conduct as Mr. Barr special counsel. This stuff makes my makes my head spin. Mr. Luskin said, when did these guys drink the Kool-Aid and who served it to him? That's one of the that's one of the lines that is going to get quoted out of this a lot, is that they're trying to get you to believe that Trump, the bad orange man, made some bad orange Kool-Aid and got Barr to drink it, and then Barr got Durham to drink it. And they're just continuing the lies and mischaracterizations of the bad orange man. That's what Durham's job is. Durham's job is to be the bad orange man's attack dog. But notice. Luskin is a defense lawyer who represented two witnesses Mr. Durham interviewed. That's dastink. That's dastink, because this guy probably has an axe to grind of some sort. You see, they're going to the opposition. They're going to people who have come under the eye, the investigative eye, of the Durham Special Counsel, and they're getting quotes from them. And what are they going to say? Oh, Mr. Durham's bad. He's doing a terrible job. He's he's all politically motivated. They're not going to say good things about Durham. They're not going to say good things about Durham. Just like if you go to a defense attorney and say, what do you think of your client in this murder trial? They're going to say, oh, he's an upstanding citizen who's been wrongly accused of this murder. and That's what they're going to, and they're reporting it as news. All right, continuing. A month after Mr. Barr was confirmed as attorney general in February 2019... The special counsel Robert S. Mueller III ended the Russia investigation and turned in his report without charging any Trump associates with engaging in a criminal conspiracy with Moscow over its covert operation to help Mr. Trump win the 2016 election. That paragraph is. <laughs> Imagine writing this paragraph in 2023. Imagine writing that. Like the insinuation there is that Mr. Barr stopped Mueller from indicting anybody in the Trump campaign. And this this and they're pushing the Trump Russia collusion hoax still in January of 2023. They're so mad. They are so mad that Robert Mueller did not charge any Trump associates with criminal conspiracy. They are furious. Still
0: They still believe and are pushing the Russia, Russia, Russia lie.
1: Mr. Trump would repeatedly portray the Mueller report as having found, quote, no collusion with Russia. The reality was more complex. In fact, the report detailed numerous links between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. Yeah, that the deep state and Hillary Clinton campaign planted. And it established both how Moscow had worked to help Mr. Trump win and how his campaign had expected to benefit from the foreign interference. I think you're talking about the Hillary Clinton campaign winning and Rodney Joffe benefiting from the foreign interference. That spring, Mr. Barr assigned Mr. Durham to scour the origins of the Russia investigation for wrongdoing. Fox, telling Fox News that he wanted to know, "quote, if officials abuse their power and put their thumb on the scale," and deciding to pursue the investigation. "Quote, a lot of the answers have been inadequate, and some of the explanations I've gotten don't hang together," he added. While attorneys general, while attorneys general overseeing politically sensitive inquiries tend to keep their distance from the investigations, Mr. Durham visited Mr. Barr in office for at times weekly updates and consultations about his day-to-day work. They also sometimes dined and sipped scotch together. People familiar with their work said. That actually makes me feel better about the Durham investigation. (laughs) I mean, I already feel really great about it, but that makes me feel even better. In some ways, they were an odd match. Taciturn and media averse The goatee Mr. Durham had spent more than three decades as a prosecutor before Mr. Trump appointed him the United States Attorney for Connecticut. Administrations of both parties had assigned him to investigate potential official wrongdoing, like allegations of corrupt ties between the mafia informants and FBI agents uh, and at CIA's torture terrorism detainees and destruction of evidence. He found all those things. Durham indicted FBI agents for being mafia, being, uh, for covering up for the mafia why are they saying it's allegations? why are they saying it's allegations of corrupt ties between Mafia informants and FBI agents when he actually did find exactly that and put people in jail? by contrast, the vocal and domineering Mr. Du- Mr. Barr has never prosecuted a case and is known for using his law enforcement platform to opine on culture war issues and politics. He had effectively auditioned to be Mr. Trump's attorney general by asserting to a New York Times reporter that there was more basis to investigate Mrs. Clinton than Mr. Trump's so-called collusion. That is a fact. That is a fact, and the New York Times cannot stand it. And by writing a memo suggesting a way to shield Mr. Trump from scrutiny to obstruct, for obstruction of justice. Oh, they are seething, guys. See, this is how you enjoy these articles. You read them and you note how mad the people who write them are. They are so pissed years later that Barr wrote that memo which shielded Trump from obstruction of justice, prosecution by the Mueller special counsel. These people go to bed at night with images of Durham Barr and Trump in their head and they can't there's they're like they're like that ring liberal. they cry themselves to sleep at night thinking about Bill Barr, Trump and Durham. But the two shared a worldview Barr and Durham. They are both Catholic conservatives and Republicans born two months apart in 1950. As a career federal prosecutor, Mr. Durham already revered the office of the attorney general, people who know him say. And as he was drawn into Mr. Barr's personal orbit, Mr. Durham came to embrace that particular attorney general's intense feelings about the Russia investigation. If any of you are getting motion sickness, it's understandable because the spin the spin is greater than anything any washing machine has ever produced. Like, like, this is out of control spinning, out of control. If you need to brace yourself, it's okay. <laughs> Make sure you keep both feet on the ground so you don't get nauseous. <laughs> All right, next section. At the time Mr. Barr was confirmed, he told aides that he already suspected that intelligence abuses played a role in igniting the Russia investigation and that unearthing any wrongdoing would be a priority. In May 2019, soon after giving Mr. Durham his assignment, Mr. Barr summoned the head of the National Security Agency, Paul M. Nakasone, to his office. In front of several aides, Mr. Barr demanded that the NSA cooperate with the Durham inquiry he demanded he demanded referring the CIA and British spies referring to B- CIA and British spies Mr Barr also said he suspected that the NSA's friends had helped instigate the Russia investigation by targeting the Trump campaign aides briefing on the meeting oh targeting Trump campaign aides briefed on the meeting said and repeating a sexual vulgarity He warned that if the NSA wronged him by not doing all it could do to help Mr. Durham, Mr. Barr would do the same to the agency. I guess Mr. Barr said, if you, you know, if you F Durham, then I'm going to F you or something like. Interesting. Mr. Barr's insistence that he had surmised bewildered intelligence officials. But Mr. Durham spent his first months looking for any evidence that the origin of the Russia investigation involved an intelligence operation targeting the Trump campaign. Mr. Durham's team spent long hours combing the CIA's files, but found no way to support the allegation. Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham traveled abroad together to press British and Italian officials to reveal everything their agencies had gleaned about the Trump campaign and relayed to the United States. But both allied governments denied they had done any such thing. Top British intelligence officials expressed indignation to their counterparts about the accusations. Three former U.S. officials said, guys, I bet. I bet. All three of those signed that letter in 2020 saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Guarantee it. Mr. Bur- Mr. Durham and Mr. Barr had not yet given up when a new problem arose. In early December, the Justice Department's Inspector General, Michael E. Horowitz, completed his own report on the origins of the Russia investigation. The Inspector General revealed errors and omissions in wiretap applications targeting a former Trump campaign advisor and determined that an FBI lawyer had doctored an email in a way that kept one of those problems from coming to light. Mr. Durham's team later negotiated a guilty plea by that lawyer. He's talking about Smith. and they are they are they are trying to color this as you know as pretty as they possibly can errors and omissions in wiretap applications no like they literally lied on <laughs> they lied
0: they straight up omitted and lied on wiretaps but
1: the broader findings contradicted Mr. Trump's accusations and the rationale for Durham's inquiry. That's really, okay. This is one of the main thrust of this article is they want to convince the reader that the rationale, the basis for Durham special counsel is flawed. They want to convince their reader that the Durham special counsel is illegitimate that it never should have been brought, that it's a product of the politicization by Trump and Bill Barr of the DOJ. That's what they, they want the reader to look at this and walk away thinking, if not for Bill Barr, Robert Mueller would have indicted several people in Trump's orbit, if not Donald Trump himself. If not for Bill Barr, Trump would have been impeached for obstruction and removed from office. If not for Bill Barr, Trump wouldn't have gotten away with what he got away with. And this Durham investigation is flawed from the get-go. It's baseless. It's found nothing like what Trump wanted it to because Trump is lying. It's all conspiracy theories, and Durham is just chasing conspiracy theories. That's what they want the reader to believe. And you need to ask yourself, why? Why do they want the reader to believe that? Because if it's true that Durham is done, if it's true that Durham is done, he's writing his report, and then he's going to retire and buy season tickets to the Boston Red Sox and spend the rest of his time drinking scotch, and and going to Red Sox games. If it's true, if if those things are true, then why write a hit and spin piece like this? Just let the report be published. Do your sliming of the report and move on. There's no need to write a hit and spin piece. If Durham is done, right? There's no need to do this frame-up job. There's no need to write an article like this to convince people of these things. If Durham is truly done and going off
0: to watch baseball and enjoy his retirement. That's why I say they're they're getting out ahead of something.
1: The motivation the primary motivation I can think of for writing a hit and spin piece like this is that they know something big is coming and they need to damage and delegitimize the Durham Special
0: Counsel before it drops Okay. The broader findings,
1: talking about Smith, the broader findings contradicted Mr. Trump's accusations and the rationale for Durham's inquiry. Mr. Horowitz found no evidence that the FBI actions were politically motivated, and he concluded that the investigation's basis, an Australian diplomat's tip that a Trump campaign advisor had seemed to disclose advanced knowledge that Russia would release hacked Democratic emails, had been sufficient to lawfully open it. The week before Mr. Horowitz released the report, he and aides came to Durham's office, nondescript suites on two floors of a building in northeast Washington, to go over it. Mr. Durham lobbied Mr. Horowitz to drop his findings that the diplomat's tip had been sufficient for the FBI to open its full counterintelligence investigation, arguing that it was enough at most for a preliminary inquiry, according to officials. But Mr. Horowitz did not change his mind. That weekend, Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham decided to weigh in publicly to shape the narratives on their terms. Now, I want to I say that I, I agree with Horowitz that there was enough information and evidence and intelligence and there was enough there to start in a full counterintelligence investigation. But not of investigation into Trump for collusion an investigation into the Trump campaign for being framed an investigation into who tried to frame the Trump campaign for this collusion. Who tried to create and peddle the AlphaGate hoax or AlphaBank hoax? Who created this steel dossier and trafficked it around? Who came up and lied and tried to and got this FISA application for Carter Page? There's absolutely a basis for an investigation of who was doing those things. But this entire time, the MSM has characterized the investigation as being an investigation into Trump for his collusion, taking it for granted that he was colluding. And then that Barr protected him. But that's not what they investigated. They ended up investigating the Trump campaign and it was always an investigation. It was always a trap. One, it was a trap. It was a trap for crooked FBI intelligence officials to go after Trump and then to show that they were politically motivated. And now the IG and Durham are after them, such as Otten and uh, others that were in there. Um, McCabe, McCabe. Um, so Anyway, I'll move on with that. That week, Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham decided to weigh in minutes and minutes before the Inspector general's report went online. Mr. Barr issued a statement contradicting Mr. Horowitz's major finding, declaring that the FBI opened the investigation on the thinnest of suspicions and that in my view were insufficient. He would later tell Fox News that the investigation began without any basis as if the diplomat's tip never happened. Mr. Trump also weighed in, telling reporters that the details of the Inspector Jones report were far worse than anything I would ever imagine. I look forward to the Durham report, which is coming out in the not-too-distant future. It's got its own information, which is this information, plus, plus, plus.
0: Plus, plus, plus.
1: And the Justice Department sent reporters a statement from Mr. Durham that clashed with both Justice Department principals about not discussing ongoing investigations and his personal reputation is particularly tight lipped. He said he disagreed with Mr. Horowitz's conclusions about the Russia investigations origins, citing his own access to more information and evidence collected to date. But as Mr. Durham's inquiry proceeded, he never presented any evidence contradicting Mr. Horowitz's factual findings about the basis on which FBI officials opened the investigation. By summer 2020, it was clear that the hunt for evidence supporting Mr. Barr's hunch about intelligence abuses had failed. But he waited until after the 2020 election to publicly concede that there had turned out to be no sign of foreign government activity and that the CIA had stayed in its lane.
0: After all... Next section on one of
1: Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham's trips to Europe, according to people familiar with the matter, Italian officials, while denying any role in setting off the Russia investigation, unexpectedly offered a potentially explosive tip linking Mr. Trump to certain suspected financial crimes. Mr. Barr, and Mr. Durham decided that the tip was too serious and credible to ignore, but rather than assign it to another prosecutor, Mr. Barr had Mr. Durham investigate the matter himself, giving him criminal prosecution powers for the first time. Even though the possible wrongdoing by Mr. Trump did not fall squarely within Mr. Durham's assignment to scrutinize the origins of the Russia inquiry, people said. Mr. Durham never filed charges and it remains unclear what level of an investigation it was what steps he took, what he learned, and whether anyone at the White House ever found out. So they don't know anything. They literally have someone saying, a tip came from the Italians that there was some sort of financial matter that Trump may have been involved in, and Barr let Durham investigate it. The extraordinary fact that Mr. Durham opened a criminal investigation that included scrutinizing Mr. Trump has remained secret. I want to know. I really want to know what this is. I really want to know what this is, because there were people in the Trump campaign that were trying to get business deals related to Russia. And I just can't help but wonder if. This is going to I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember this secret. Investigation. And I think in the future, we're going to find out that it wasn't Trump who did anything wrong. It was some part, it was part of the effort to frame Trump. But in October 2019, a garbled echo became public. The Times reported that Mr. Durham's administrative review of the Russia inquiry had evolved to include a criminal investigation while saying it was not clear what the suspected crime was. Citing their own sources, many other outlets confirmed the development. The news reports, however, were all framed around the erroneous assumption that the criminal investigation must mean Mr. Durham had found evidence of potential crimes by officials involved in the Russia inquiry. Mr. Barr, who weighed in publicly about the Durham inquiry at regular intervals in in ways that advanced a pro Trump narrative, see Blaming Barr. Blaming Barr chose in this instance not to clarify what was really happening. I'm telling you guys, this is such a key reason why Barr and Trump have a falling out. That's fake. That's why there's Trump and Barr kayfabe is because they know they know that these types of accusations are coming ahead of Durham and some really big targets, and they need to have that distance between them. By the spring and summer of 2020, with Mr. Trump's re-election campaign in full swing, the Durham investigation's failure to deliver scalps in time for the election began to erode Mr. Barr's relationship with Mr. Trump. Mr. Barr wrote in his memoir, which I still need to read. I have it, but I still need to read it. Mr. Trump was stoking a belief among his supporters that Mr. Durham might charge former President Barack Obama and former Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr. that proved too much for Mr. Barr who in May 2020 clarified that, quote, our concern of potential criminality is focused on others. Even so, in August, Mr. Trump lashed out in a Fox News interview, asserting that Mr. Obama and Mr. Biden, along with top FBI and intelligence officials, have been caught in, quote, the single biggest political crime in the history of our country. And the only thing stopping charges would be if Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham wanted to be politically correct. Against that backdrop, Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham did not shut down their inquiry when the search for intelligence abuses hit a dead end. With the inspector general's inquiry complete, they turned to a new rationale, a hunt for a basis to accuse the Clinton campaign of conspiring to defraud the government by manufacturing the suspicions that the Trump campaign had colluded with Russia, along with scrutinizing what the FBI and intelligence officials knew about the Clinton campaign's actions. Mr. Durham had also developed an indirect method to impute political bias to law enforcement officials, comparing the Justice Department's aggressive response to suspicions of links between Trump and Russia, with its more cautious and skeptical reaction to various Clinton-related suspicions. He examined an investigation into the Clinton Foundation's finances, Huber, Huber, in which the FBI's repeated requests for a subpoena were denied. He also scrutinized how the FBI gave Mrs. Clinton a defensive briefing about suspicions that a foreign government might be trying to influence her campaign through donations, but did not inform Mr. Trump about the suspicions that Russia might be conspiring with people associated with his campaign. My, 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 what would be the reason for that? What would be the reason for
0: that? I know this is a. Uh, I know this article has tons of garbage spin
1: guys, but there's a value in reading it it's not for the truth of the matter it's for what it tells you about what their motive is in writing it and also there's a couple hints here and there about something next section we're, almost, we're a little we're over halfway done. During the Russia investigation, the FBI used claims from what turned out to be a dubious source, the Steele dossier. Well, at least the Times is admitting the Steele dossier was dubious. <laughs> I would have used the terms made up bullshit or um, or worse, um, but at least the Times is calling it dubious. It was opposition research indirectly funded by the Clinton campaign. Campaign. No, it was pretty, pretty, pretty directly funded. Pretty. Uh, it's it was pretty directly funded by the Clinton campaign, in its botched applications to wiretap a former Trump campaign aide. The Trump, inv- the Durham investigation did something with parallels to the incident. What? What? the Durham investigation did something with parallels to the incident. In Durham's case, the dubious sources were memos whose credibility, the intelligence community doubted written by Russian intelligence analysts and discussing purported conversations involving American victims of Russian hacking. According to people familiar with the matter, of course, of course we got anonymous sources, people familiar. The memos were part of a trove, provided to the CIA by a Dutch spy agency, which had infiltrated the servers of its Russian counterpart. The memos were said to make demonstrably inconsistent, inaccurate, or exaggerated claims, and some U.S. analysts believed Russia may have deliberately seeded them with disinformation. Well, because everything that comes from Russia is disinformation. Everything. Mr. Durham wanted to use the memos which included descriptions of Americans discussing a purported plan by Mrs. Clinton to attack Mr. Trump by linking him to Russia's hacking and releasing in 2016 of Democratic emails to pursue the theory that the Clinton campaign conspired to frame Mr. Trump. And in so doing, Mr. Durham sought to use the memos as justification to get access to the private communications of an American citizen. One purported hacking victim identified in the memos was Leonard Bernardo. Okay. I've heard that name before. The executive vice president of the Open Society Foundation. A pro-democracy organization whose Hungarian-born founder, Mr. George Soros, has been vilified by the far right. In 2017, the Washington Post reported that the Russian memos included a claim. That Mr. Bernardo and the Democratic member of the Congress, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, had discussed how Loretta Lynch, the Obama-era attorney general, had supposedly promised to keep the investigation into Mrs. Clinton emails from going too far. What a web this is weaving. Mr. Bernardo and Mrs. Wasserman Schultz said they had never even met let alone communicated about Mrs. Clinton's emails. Mr. Durham set out to prove that the memos described real conversations according to people familiar with the matter. He sent a prosecutor on his team, Andrew DeFilippis, to ask Judge Beryl A. Howell, the chief judge of the Federal District Court in Washington, for an order allowing them to seize information about Mr. Bernardo's emails. But Judge Howe decided that the Russian memo was too weak a basis to intrude on Mr. Bernardo's privacy. Mr. Durham then personally appeared before her and urged her to reconsider, but she again ruled against him. Rather than dropping the idea, Mr. Durham sidestepped Judge Howe's ruling by invoking grand jury power to demand documents and testimony directly from Mr. Soros's foundation and Mr. Bernardo about his emails, the people said. It is unclear whether Mr. Durham served them with a subpoena or instead threatened to
0: do so if they did not cooperate. Oh, this is spicy.
1: Rather than fighting in court, the foundation and Mr. Bernardo quietly complied according to people familiar with the matter. But for Mr. Durham, the result appears to have been another dead end. Appears. In a statement provided to the Times by Mr. Soros's Foundation, Mr. Bernardo reiterated that he never met or corresponded with Miss Wasserman Schultz and said that, quote, if
0: such documents exist, it's of course made up. Okay. So the
1: claim is that Bernardo, an executive VP at Soros' Open Society Foundation,
0: and Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida
1: discussed with each other that Loretta Lynch promised to keep the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails from going too far, that she promised to protect Hillary Clinton. Bernardo and Schultz said they never talked or met, and they've never talked about Clinton's emails. Prosecutor Andrew DeFilippis went to Judge Hal and said, I need to get these emails. Meaning, I need a warrant. What that what they mean is they they're saying I need a search warrant for the email accounts of uh, Bernardo, the VP of Open Society. And the judge said, "No, this isn't a good enough basis to get something like that." So Mr. Durham goes goes in front of Hal and tries to argue it. And she's like, "Nah, I don't think so." We need more of a basis in order to violate someone's privacy like that and get do we need more we need more here in order to get a search warrant for someone's email accounts okay so Durham formed a grand jury and used grand jury power to demand documents and testimony directly from Soros's foundation and Bernardo about his emails. So he didn't get a search warrant for the email accounts, but instead what he did is that he either sent them a letter requesting they appear before a grand jury, or he subpoenaed them to
0: appear before a grand jury. The, found, the Open Society Foundation and Mr. Bernardo
1: quietly complied. Okay, I'm going to rewrite this. I'm going to rewrite this as, as, as if it's a headline breaking news. Breaking news, John H. Durham put the executive VP of the George Soros Open Society Foundation and representatives of that foundation in front of a grand jury for questioning about communications
0: regarding Hillary Clinton's email server. If just these paragraphs right here
1: came out, if that was all this was, that would be an appropriate headline. Breaking news Special Counsel Durham formed a grand jury and used grand jury powers to get George Soros' Open Society Foundation and the executive vice president of that foundation in front of a grand jury to question them about Loretta Lynch. Debbie Wasserman Schultz and communications about Hillary Clinton's email server.
0: That's spicy. That is
1: that is so spicy. No wonder, no wonder they they started out claiming that these memos are total Russian disinformation. They're dubious. You can't, this is analogous to the Steele dossier. Like, no wonder. And no wonder it's over halfway down into the article that they explain actually what happened. Mmm. Mmm, that is spicy. Okay.
0: Next section. Internal strife.
1: Never would I never had I ever imagined that there would have been a chain of evidence that would have led John Durham to investigate George Soros' Open Society Foundation in any way. But here we are. Internal strife. As the focus of the Durham investigation shifted, cracks formed inside the team. Mr. Durham's deputy, Miss Danahy, a longtime close colleague, increasing increasingly argued with him in front of other prosecutors and FBI agents about legal ethics. Ms. Danny had an independent standing as a respected prosecutor in 2008. Attorney General Michael Mukasey assigned her to investigate whether to charge senior Bush officials with crimes related to a scandal over firing of us attorneys in 2010. She decided no charges were warranted. Ms. Danny, he complained to Mr. Durham about how Mr. Barr kept hinting in public. Hinting darkly in public about what what Danny, he complained to Durham about how Mr. Barr kept hinting darkly in public about the direction of their investigation. In April 2020, for example, he suggested to Fox News that officials should be could be prosecuted. Quote, the evidence shows that we are not dealing with just mistakes or sloppiness. There is something far more troubling here. Oh, that's so dark. Danahy urged Mr. Durham to ask the Attorney General to adhere to Justice Department policy. Durham proved unwilling to challenge him. The strains grew when Mr. Durham used grand jury powers to go after Bernardo's emails. Danahy opposed that tactic and told colleagues that Mr. Durham had taken that step without telling her. Summer 2020, the election day approaching, Mr. Barr pressed Durham to draft a potential interim report centered on the Clinton campaign and FBI gullibility or willful blindness. On September 10th, 2020, Ms. Danahy discovered that other members of the team had written a draft report that Mr. Durham had not told her about, according to people briefed on their ensuing argument. Ms. Danahy erupted, according to people familiar with the matter. She told Mr. Durham that no report should be issued before the investigation was complete, and especially not just before an election, and denounced the draft for taking disputed information at face value. She sent colleagues a memo detailing those concerns and resigned. Two people close to Mr. Barr said he had pressed for the draft to evaluate what a report on preliminary findings would look like and what evidence would need to be declassified. But they insisted that he intended any release to come during the summer or after the November third election. In any case, in late late September 2020, about two weeks after Mr. Dana, he quit, someone leaked to a Fox News business personality that Mr. Durham would not issue an interim report, disappointing Trump supporters hoping for a pre election day bombshell. All right. This is total like I mean, it's not BS. But there's, there's fake – this is fake news. This is fake news. Um, one, it's against Justice Department policy to come out with something like that. Like if Durham wanted to issue a report, September and October would not be the time in an election year because the Justice Department is – it's – against policy, DOJ policy to publish such a thing that has political consequences in the 90 days out from an election phase. So like that would not have happened. It would not have happened. They would not have published such a report in that time period. The other thing is that Durham was not a special counsel yet. He's an investigator at this time. He's a, he's a special prosecutor at this time, but he hasn't been given a special counsel's office yet. So. It's not like he needed to do this report like as part of his special counsel, he was building up. And it makes sense to me that Barr during this time member, when did member Barr appointed uh, um, Durham special counsel later on? Uh, what is the date of it? Um, just a second. What is that date at the Durham SEO? Just a second. Uh, Barr appointed John Durham. I really don't like the new Justice Department website. (laughs) I like the old one. I really... I know it looks nice, but I just... I like the old one. Um, 10-19-20. Okay, so Barr on October 19th, 2020... Barr signed the order officially making John Durham a special counsel. It makes perfect sense to me that Barr would contact Durham ahead of making him a special counsel and say, Hey, do you have a draft report you're working on and you're finding so far? Because not for public release, but for Barr to review and decide upon whether or not he wanted to make Durham a special counsel. Like, it makes perfect sense that Barr would be contacting Durham during this time pe- period to say, all right, what you got so far, thinking about making you a special counsel. Draft up a report for me for uh, so I can take a look at it and decide if I need to make you a special counsel. Fake news. So much fake news right here. All right, stymied by the decision not to issue an interim Durham report, John Ratcliffe Mr. Trump's National Intelligence Director tried another way to inject the same information into the campaign. Over the objections of Gina Gina Haspel, the CIA Director, Mr. Ratcliffe declassified nearly a thousand pages of intelligence material before the election for Mr. Durham to use. Good. Notably in that fight, Mr. Barr sided with Ms. Haspel, on one matter that is said to be particularly sensitive and that remain classified. According to two people familiar with the dispute, Mr. Ratcliffe also disclosed in a letter to a center that Russian intelligence claimed that on July 26, 2016, Mrs. Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against Mr. Trump for Russia collusion. That is one of my favorite. Ah, stop that. Stop that. That's one of my favorite things that came out of, um, Trump admin is that letter right here, right here. I've shown it on the show many times. This September 29th, 2020 memo that he sent to Lindsey Graham. They know there's so much more that they have on Clinton. The letter acknowledged that officials quote, did not know the accuracy of this allegation or the extent to which the Russian intelligence analysis may reflect exaggeration or fabrication, but it did not mention that there were many reasons that suspicions about the Trump campaign were arising in that period. Like the diplomat's tip that Trump's flattery of Vladimir Putin, his hiring of advisors with links to Russia, his financial ties to Russia and his call for Russia to hack Mrs. Clinton. The disclosure infuriated Dutch intelligence officials, who had provided the memos under strictest confidence. All right. We're almost done guys. We're almost done. We got, yeah, we're almost done. And then, uh, we'll get over the motion sickness late in the summer of 2020. If you need a barf break, it's okay. Just grab a trash can. It's okay. There's no shame. Everybody pukes sometimes. Late in the summer of 2021, Mr. Durham prepared to indict Michael Sussman, a cybersecurity lawyer who had represented the Democrats in their dealing with the FBI, about Russia's hacking. Two prosecutors on Mr. Durham's team, Anthony Scarpelli and Niraj N. Patel, objected, according to people familiar with the matter. Five years earlier, Mr. Sussman had relayed a tip to the Bureau about odd internet data that a group of data scientists contended could Reflect hidden communications between the Trump organization and Alpha Bank. The FBI, which by then had already launched its Russia investigation, briefly looked at the allegation but dismissed it. Mr. Durham accused Mr. Sussman of lying to the FBI official about saying he was not conveying the tip for a client. The prosecutor maintained Mr. Sussman was there in part for the Clinton campaign. Mr. Scarpelli and Mr. Patel argued to Mr. Durham that the evidence was too thin to charge Mr. Sussman, and that such a case would not normally be prosecuted, people familiar with the matter said. Given the intense scrutiny he received, they also warned that an acquittal would undermine public faith in their investigation and federal law enforcement. Those just sound like reasonable things to say. When Mr. Durham did not change course, Mr. Scarpelli quit in protest, people familiar with the matter said. Mr. Patel left soon after to take a different job. Both declined to comment. I am going to, I want to know where these guys are at now. Just a moment. I want to know where these guys
0: are at now. Scarpelli. Um, Okay. This is from lawyer.com. Anthony Scarpelli, U.S. Attorney's Office. Where is he at now? I don't. It's not. It's it's not exactly an uncommon name. Um. I want to. Uh, this page doesn't exist. Well, it used to exist. He's not a realtor. I
1: doubt he's a realtor anyway. All right, let me check if the, I might have to dig some more to discern which one of these guys is actually Anthony Scarpelli. Uh, Where's the other one? Niroj Patel. New
0: Haven, Connecticut. That's 2005. Where's he at now? Where's he at now? litigation lawyer in New York
1: no i'm going to have to look more. I want to find out where these guys went. And see what law from the at now because that might tell us something about them. Okay, back to the article too thin charging assessment was narrow, but the Durham team used it to make large amounts of information. okay, at least they include this. The charging assessment was narrow. But the Durham team used it to make large amounts of information insinuate, make public large amounts of information insinuating what Mr. Durham never charged—that Clinton campaign associates conspired to gin up an FBI investigation into Mr. Trump based on knowingly false allegation. That is absolutely what they did. Trial testimony, however, showed that while Mrs. Clinton and her campaign manager hoped—that be Robby Mook hoped—Mr. Sussman would persuade reporters to write articles about Alpha Bank. They did not want him to take the information to the FBI, and prosecutors presented no evidence that he or campaign officials had believed the data scientist's complex theory was false. After Mr. Sussman's acquittal, Mr. Barr, by then out of office for more than a year, suggested that those using the courts to advance a politically charged narrative was a goal in itself. Mr. Durham accomplished something far more important than a conviction, Mr. Barr told Fox News. Asserting that the case had, "quote," crystallized the central role played by the Hillary Clinton campaign in launching as a dirty trick the whole Russia gate collusion narrative, and fanning the flames of it absolutely. As he predicted at a subsequent trial concerning a Russia analyst who was a researcher for the Steele dossier researcher, yes, Danchenko was just a researcher. He would also get the story out and further amplify these themes and the role the FBI leadership played in this, which which is increasingly looking fishy and inexplicable, said Barr. That case involved Igor Danchenko, who had told the FBI that the dossier exaggerated the credibility of gossip and speculation. Mr. Durham charged him with lying about two sources. He was acquitted, too. The two failed cases, now they're going to wrap it up. Okay. They're going to wrap it up with one final effort to spin all of this stuff and program the reader into believing what they believe or what they want you to believe. Okay. They're going to, this is how they're going to wrap it up and send their NPCs off with their, their program knowledge or their, their latest software update. The two failed cases are likely to be likely to be Mr. Durham's last courtroom acts as a prosecutor. I doubt it. Bringing demonstrably weak cases stood in contrast to how he once talked about his prosecutorial philosophy. James Farmer, a retired prosecutor who worked with Mr. Durham on several major investigations, recalled him as a neutral actor who said that if there was nothing to charge, they would not strain to prosecute. Quote, that's what I heard time and again. Mr. Farmer said. Delivering the closing arguments in the Danchenko trial, Mr. Durham defended his investigation to the jury, denying that his appointment by Mr. Barr had been tainted by politics. He asserted that Mr. Mueller had had concluded, quote, there's no evidence of collusion here or conspiracy, a formulation that echoed Mr. Trump's distortion of the Russia investigation's complex findings. And added, quote, is it wrong is it the wrong question to ask? Well, then how did this get started? Respectfully, that's not the case. The judge interrupted Durham. You should finish up, Mr. Durham. That's what they want. They want you to believe Durham is done. He's finishing up. It was a crooked investigation from the get go. It was baseless. And anything that comes out from it is going to be baseless and political uh, junk. It's what they want, it's what they want. So why, why are they trying to program people with this information now? Think something's coming. Something's coming. Something something is coming that is so big that Adam Schiff. Wanted to go on the news last night with MSNBC to talk about this article. Oh, oh, just a moment. Let me make sure I have this audio right. Here we go. Here we go.
2: Reaction to the developing news this week: uh, report in the New York Times about the background uh, on the uh, donham investigation. This this investigation that uh, Attorney General Barr. Uh, started with a special prosecutor where one of the staff, a couple of the staff resigned because of what they considered the uh, ethical misconduct uh, of that special prosecutor who has so far obtained uh, none of the uh, evidence or convictions that he set out to obtain, which was to prove that the origins of the investigation of Donald Trump's connections uh, to Russia were illegitimate origins. Uh, there's that combined with uh, the arrest and indictment uh, of a top-level FBI operative in the New York office who was involved in these same issues. Well, you know, I think it, it goes to show, Lawrence, uh, and again, I think we need to be reminded of this, Bill Barr was a terrible attorney general. Uh, and he authorized this investigation because Donald Trump was demanding it. Uh, he intervened in criminal cases uh, of people like Roger Stone uh, and others, Mike Flynn, uh, to protect those that were lying to cover up for themselves and to cover up for Donald Trump, we haven 't seen the kind of breakdown of the independence of the Justice Department since the Nixon administration. Uh, and for all of the efforts that Barr uh, and his uh, special uh, counsel made to to try to investigate the investigators uh, and discredit the the origins of the investigation into trump 's uh, Russian connections. Um, It has produced almost nothing. Uh, But again, the purpose was to give Donald Trump an argument uh, in his reelection and an argument to the American people that he was somehow the victim Um, for a party, Republican Party, that claims to be against victimhood. uh, Their party leader uh, often plays the biggest victim in the country.
1: That gives me a thought i've got a thought based on this appearance
0: Schiff and Swalwell just got kicked off the House Intelligence Committee.
1: do well, you want to bet the New York Times that these reporters are now without their inside intelligence into the Durham Special Counsel. What do you want to bet the New York Times just lost a major source of Intel that they had been relying on to monitor Durham and his investigations? And what do you want to bet that the impetus one of the one of the stimuli, for them pinning this piece is that they no longer have a line of sight into the SEO. So they took what they had, they spun it up as best they could and did one last hit piece, one last hit piece, smear piece, trying to do as much damage as they could to bar as much damage as they could to Durham, trying to delegitimize him as much as they could because they can no longer get line of sight via Schiff and Swalwell. And that's why, that's why watermelon head went on TV to talk about this. And where does he go? MSNDC, of course, MS, MSDNC, of course course that's the place they always go for this type of stuff i think that's what's up they know something's coming it's big they don't have line of sight into it anymore they don't have their intel source into it their rat took what they had packaged it up bam voila you get this article
0: The one big scoop in it has to do
1: with this right here with Soros. So they made sure to break that news so there was something unique in here, something nobody had ever reported on before. That's their scoop that's in here. Everything else is spin. So, all right. Thank you guys for bearing with me for that article. I know that that was... Tough. I know that that was nauseating at times. Uh, but I think it's worth it. And if you enjoyed it, please hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. Helps me out over there. Leave a comment on the show. Check out my links in the description for ways to support the show, such as merch, honey, uh, rep code just human. Get yourself something sweet and help me out at the same time. Get always, you always want to buy honey directly from the bee farmer. BensonHoneyFarms.com is how you can do it. BuyMeACoffee.com if you want to keep me caffeinated. And my sub stack if you want my podcast and occasional articles. Okay. I want to grab... I said I was going to talk about Pompeo, but I might skip it because we don't have that much time left. Let me see. Um,
0: well... Uh, Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. This is
1: in line with what we were already talking about. Pompeo accuses Schiff of leaking classified information. Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, on Wednesday accused Adam Schiff directly of leaking classified information from his former Senate seat on the House Intelligence Committee from which Schiff has been blocked by new Speaker McCarthy. Quote, Adam Schiff lied to the American people during my time as CIA director and secretary of state. I know that he leaked classified information and that he had been prov- that had been provided to him. Adding that Schiff's tenure as Intel chairman almost ruined that committee. Pressed during the interview on why Pompeo didn't come forward to take actions against Schiff if he believed classified documents had been leaked. Pompeo said it's a complicated process and it's difficult to pin down precisely what happened. Pompeo said he held back information from the intelligence committee because he didn't feel comfortable working with the Schiff led panel. Schiff's office blasted Pompeo for the false and defamatory remarks. I love Pompeo. I know everybody's getting mad at him right now because of some of his comments, especially about Ukraine, but... I think he's just he's just doing what he's got to do right now. Something else from Pompeo. This is a great story. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo reveals in his new book that he has always thought that many government inspectors general spend too much time grabbing the low hanging fruit instead of hunting down crimes and fraud. They major in the minors, he wrote in his just-released book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. And none of the dozens of IG offices throughout the government, he added, was worse than the Department of States. To prove his point, check out this story. This is a great Pompeo story. To prove his point, the former top Trump administration official wrote that he once asked the office to determine if a clearly unethical financial scheme by him and his wife would be allowed. Quote, I told them that'd be the State Department's inspector general. I told them that my wife flies to foreign countries to give speeches for a fee of $500,000 each, all of it paid for by foreign governments, with the proceeds going to the Pompeo Foundation. Some of the people working for the Pompeo Foundation might well be current department employees. I needed to know if this whole setup caused any ethical problems for me or the department. In deadpan style, I told them I needed a memorandum from them confirming that this activity was lawful. He didn't need an answer, knowing that the ethics department would crush the plan. But their reaction... (coughs) Their reaction... um. Ah, ah, but their reaction enforced his view that the IG played politics. Quote, the ethics team didn't get it. What I had described was exactly what Secretary Clinton and her husband had done when she sat on the seventh floor. It's hard to imagine a more significant conflict of interest or ethical risk than a secretary of state's spouse sticking a tin cup in front of world leaders while his wife was still in office. Pompeo wrote in his scorched earth autobiography, a top 10 Amazon bestseller. That makes me happy when I left them. When I let them in on my jest, they didn't think it was funny. I told them I didn't think it was funny either. I asked them to produce for me the document that allowed Bill Clinton to take that money for the Clinton foundation with which the Clintons paid or paid off certain persons to do their bidding. He added, though there was no further discussion about approving a memo. There was one reaction from the IG's office, quote, from that moment forward, the ethics team and the inspector general declared war on me. Pompeo described leaks from the office that meant to undermine his control of the department and eventually he fired the inspector general. The liberal media attacked the move, claiming that it must have been because the IG was on the trail of a career ending scandal involving Pompeo. But he said, quote, this was nonsense, and it's worth noting for the record that neither the fired IG nor anyone else informed me about his investigations, which, by the way, never found evidence of ethical violations. Pompeo is awesome. He is awesome, and I have his book right here, so let's end on this. So, I haven't read a whole bunch of his book. i uh, barely read any of it. But... In the first part, I wanted to see how it is he became CIA director. Because that's one of the things that people hold against him is, oh, well, he was CIA. So once CIA, always CIA. He must be bad, whatever. And um, I've always thought it was, (coughs) pardon me. I've always thought it was not um, a good line of thinking that Trump would ever allow someone to be in charge of CIA that Trump didn't trust and have some control over. Trump is not naive. He knows what the CIA is. He knows what they do. He's not going to put somebody in the CIA who is going to work against him. He's going to put somebody in the CIA who he, absolutely trust and who is going to do the job that he needs them to do. And he chose Pompeo for that reason. My favorite thing that Trump ever said about Pompeo, it was when he made Pompeo secretary of state after firing Tillerson, he said that Pompeo thinks like I do. And That we're always on the same page. And I really think that tells you all you need to know about Pompeo is that Trump and Pompeo are of the same mind. Which means that Trump can let Pompeo go and do what Pompeo needs to do without worry. It's, it tells you right then and there that he trusts him. Um. So anyway, I went one of the first things I wanted to see in this book was what is Pompeo's story of becoming CIA director and when you know it, it's on page seventeen of the book. It starts on page sixteen but it finishes on page seventeen i'm not I'm not kidding and I find that incredibly important um, or notable and I would say that is absolutely one hundred percent intentional that the CIA story is on page 17 of his book. So it's a short story and it's absolutely a cover story. (laughs) It is not the full story. It is just a cover and I'm going to read it to you. And I think you'll see that it is a, a cover. All right. As I, he did an interview with Trump. Okay. So on page 15, it talks about how he met with Trump and they had conversations about different things. And Bannon was there. They talked about dogs and uh, Russia and Putin and China and Iran and Jared Kushner was there. All that. OK. And then it says, as I left Trump Tower on Wednesday afternoon, I assumed that there would be other interviews and that I would hear back in a week or two. Dinner with our son that night felt, left us all dizzy with the thought of the potential burden and opportunity. Still, we didn't share the fact of the interview with anyone else. The next morning, I was back at work in my congressional office meeting with constituents. In the middle of a discussion on farm policy, my phone lit up with a call from a 212 area code, New York City. Rudely and uncharacteristically, I excused myself to take the call inside a little closet at the back of my congressional office. I don't think I'd interrupted a conversation with constituents even once in the previous five years. Hello, this is Mike. Hi, Mike, this is Donald. How do you like to be my CIA director? It wasn't so much a question as a confirmation. Sir, it would be a privilege to serve America in that role. Jeff, barked Trump, apparently referring to Jeff Sessions who was sitting with him in Trump Tower we have offer and acceptance he can't back out now then turning back to me he continued mike someone will call you later it's going to be great and
0: wild then he hung up do
1: any of y'all actually believe that pompeo got the job as cia director on a on a on a whim like that That it was just, hey, you want this job? Uh, Sir, it'd be an honor. All right, good. You're in. Call you later. Does anybody think that's how the conversation actually went? I called Susan to tell her that it appeared we were indeed headed for great, important, and wild times. I was going to be the nominee to become the director of the CIA. Something I told her she could tell Nick and no one else. I returned to the office, finished my meeting, and then asked Jim Richardson, my highly capable chief of staff, to clear the calendar as best he could for the rest of the day. That evening, the media affairs folks from the transition team asked for a biography they could use, as the plan was to make the announcement the next morning at 8 o'clock. We sent them a document that could not have been more than one or two pages. Once the news popped, I called a friend at a law firm that was helped other, that has helped other Republican nominees through the confirmation process. Within half an hour, I got a call back from his law partner, who would guide me through it. His first question was, quote, "Can you send me the paperwork you submitted for the transition team's due diligence so I can review it?" I told him I had already sent him the entirety of what I had sent the team, my publicly available biography. He asked if I was kidding. When I replied in the negative, he asked, did they at least interview you and ask you about like sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Nope. The transition team had done virtually no vetting on me. I could almost hear the lawyer's beads of sweat dripping when he said, I'm on my way over to see you now. I'm going to need a few hours with you. Where are you? The transition team was at this point moving so quickly that it had relied only on the votes of Kansas's 4th District and my time on the Intelligence Committee to inform its risk calculus on my confirmability. Less than 48 hours after the interview, in less than five full days after my first conversation with Pence, I was the president-elect's choice to lead America's CIA. While I still don't know for sure, I believe I was the only person interviewed for the job. Talk about an appetite for risk. I did a quick count of votes in the Senate and fully expected I'd be confirmed as long as I didn't screw up. I also returned to my military training and began to develop my plan for how I would lead the CIA. Even writing, writing this brings back the daunting nature of the task. I'd read histories of the CIA, met hundreds of officers while serving in the Intelligence Committee, and loved spy movies. But to run the world's premier spy outfit was a completely different kettle of fish. I began to gather books on Wild Bill Donovan, the founder of the Office of Strategic Offices Services, the OSS. The OSS founded during World War II was the precursor to the CIA and represented the core mission of collecting and delivering critical information, as well as conducting espionage operations around the world. I began to think about building a team that was loyal to America and ruthlessly focused on excellence. I would seek to help crush our adversaries by taking informed risk. So the story in the book is that Trump and team looked at Pompeo's public biography his time on the Senate in, or on the, his time on the intelligence committee had one interview with him and then decided we don't need to interview anybody else. Let's just offer it to Pompeo. And then that was it. I, I don't, I don't believe any of that. I mean, I believe the story, but I don't, I don't believe that there's, that's all there is to it. not, 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 there's no doubt in my mind that Trump and team were looking at Pompeo a long time before they ever talked to him and knew that Pompeo was the right guy. Like, there's no, there's, there's no doubt in my
0: mind whatsoever. (laughs) All right. That is the show for today, guys.
1: Remember, tonight I'm going to be um, interviewed by Zelosophy for his Patriots Behind the Mic series. Right here over on Rumble. Zelosophy for, for All. Make sure you give him a follow. The links are already on my Telegram and True Social for this. Um, but I will share it again before the interview later this evening should be a good time. Make sure you have yourself an adult beverage or whatever beverage you enjoy and, uh, come and hang out with us. He's going to ask me some questions, hopefully all about racing. That's all we're going to talk about is racing. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And then, uh, yeah, you guys, hope you guys have a great day. It's Friday. Something's coming, man some i i can't I just can't help but feel it with that New York Times article that's that something is on the horizon and they're trying to get ahead of it and i don't i don't I don't know exactly what it might be i mean I've been thinking that Durham would indict <laughs> I just realized I didn't turn my light on over there um there you go. Yeah, it's Something fancy Boom Alright I've been thinking that Durham would probably indict One more like individual Before dropping a RICO case That he would That he would drop a Like an indictment on somebody in the media For their role In peddling this stuff Or somebody on the tech side Um But I don't know Maybe it is something bigger than that can't light your candles, light your Durham candles. Something's coming. So y'all have a great day. Happy Friday to all of you. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. I'll see y'all tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern for Patriots behind the mic. Oh, come on. Play the music. Play the music. Play, play the music. Come on. Okay. Band camp. Come on. Come on. See, sometimes it makes me log in to play music, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I really need St. Durham. Yeah, get your Elaine Watkins. Get out your St. Durham candles. Light them up. Y'all have a great one. Be blessed.